You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, as we are going to get into a mailbag. And uh, we mentioned it yesterday. is a little bit overdue here. This is the first time I've done a mailbag with you, Frank. But uh, before we get into that, we ended yesterday's podcast, or near the end, we mentioned Dragon Bender and that ended up being pretty good timing because it seems like uh and I, I mentioned this to you just before we started recording but i for some reason the date in my head was the 10th of january these guaranteed dates always confuse me i don't know it seems like uh it, it i don't know it feels like it's always changing but but if reports are accurate it would suggest that bender uh looks like he's going to be hanging around which as we mentioned last night probably not a, a big surprise yeah and the, so the, the reason january 10 is always the date when um deals become guaranteed the reason why today was viewed as the, you know, de facto day is just because guys have to clear waivers and there's a waiting period on waivers. So, those, yeah. so you know, whatever. January 10th is still the guarantee day, but again, to clear waivers, you have to waive them today. So yes, Dragon Bender kind of, I think I'd say as expected, not waived by the Bucks. Um, and you know, I like I think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure. Out, I don't remember exactly what we said yesterday, but I think the long and short of it was. You know, at this point, uh, you could waive him, and I think they would have saved something like 900k uh, in in guaranteed money that they wouldn't have owed him. He had 800k guaranteed already. Um, but again, it, you know, you could still waive him later if uh, yeah. some buyout guy came on the market that you really needed, or if you made a trade that you know brought in one more guy than you shipped out, or something like that. So. Uh, you know, this is not to say that Dragon Bender is now a um, a long term piece or something something like that, but um, but obviously it's uh, you know uh, certainly an, at least an indication that you know that they're, they're not dissatisfied with him to the point of wanting to, to cut him loose. And as we were saying yesterday as well, I think even if you waived him later, uh, I think like Christian Wood last year, there's a good chance he would get picked up on waivers, so you wouldn't actually take the cap hit associated with waiving him. Um, and again, uh, that's obviously important bucks about 3 million under the, under the tax, if, if I remember correctly. So, um, you know, that, that's obviously they're not like right up against it, but, uh, if they were to waive him and sign somebody else, um, you know, again, there's, there's a decent chance that depending on, on kind of the, who it was and you know, when it was, you'd, you'd be dealing with a prorated salary. So that's at least one thing, but, um, but anyway, uh, I would say yes, a vote of some confidence in Dragon Bender, the fact that he was not waived today. Uh, and yeah, I mean, hopefully, we guess, as we were saying, we're not not even half to the halfway point of the season at this point. So still a relatively large, large long amount of time. Um, and you hope that obviously Bucks continue to roll and you have some flexibility 
hopefully not too late in the season, but that you can actually take a look at uh, some of these guys that obviously have not gotten as much run as we thought. You know, G.J. Wilson, we talked about a fair bit yesterday. Sterling Brown, you know, typically gets thrown into that bucket as well. Uh, and Bender obviously has played the least of, of any of those guys. Uh, so if he gets an opportunity at this point, you know, again, probably would be only in a uh, let's give a bunch of guys a night off and, you know, throw Dragon Bender and uh, some of these lesser used guys out there for some run. Uh, on a rest night. Um, but I don't foresee that happening anytime soon. And obviously you hope that there isn't a, uh, you know, epidemic of, you know, a flu epidemic that strikes the Lopez brothers at the same time or something like that, that would force you to, you know, force you to play dragon fender. So, um, so yeah, we'll see what happens, what happens next, but um, he continues to play very well in the G league. And obviously he's still a very young guy and hopefully um, that's something to build on. Yeah, I mean that's probably the big thing with Bender. It sort of it always surprises you when you when you remember how how young he is. Came into the league uh, as a, an eighteen year old, was young uh, when he was drafted. But uh, you know he's only been around a couple of years. He's still. I mean, the guy was born in nineteen ninety seven. So I mean, <laughs> you know, like he he is young, and I, I would say I'm still in the intrigued basket with Bender. I mean, the big thing is, uh, you know, whether it's this season or even next season with the the Bucks seemingly. Uh, looking like they're going to be rolling with the Lopez brothers again, then it's hard to really see him play. So that that's the big thing with Bender. But uh, as we mentioned, they might uh, open up a few interesting options with him. And it just made sense to keep him around given how small uh, that number is anyway. But we can jump into some questions now. And I'm going to just, I'm, I'm going to get this one out of the way first because it wasn't really basketball related, but uh, Josie Mars at Josephine Mars 42 asked, what can we do to help with the fires in Australia? I did mention that uh, Red Cross Australia was somewhere that you can uh, go to there and uh, you know make your donations, whatever you want to do. There's also a bunch of wildlife uh, places that you can uh, look up as well. Um, obviously it's pretty crazy over there at the moment. And uh, a lot of people ask me, so I will just say my family is fine. There's certainly no uh, risk to, uh, yeah, anyone in my immediate family's house or anything like that, which is nice, but uh, super smoky over there. I was talking to my mum today and uh, I would say most Australians at least know someone who's been affected by that and someone that I worked with and, and my dad worked with for a long time. I just haven't been able to get in contact with him, haven't heard from him for a while. So, I mean, it's a pretty uh, disastrous situation. But if you did want to uh, you know, help out or, or something in that way, there's a bunch of places online uh, rather than mentioning them all um, I, I, I've spent some time looking myself and it's, it's not too hard to find if that was something that you were interested, uh, in doing there. But I think we can, uh, we can start with a bit of a, a fun one here and, and it's kind of, this one is a little bit, I'm not sure. It's a little bit obscure, the question, but I, I you can take it wherever you want to take it, Frank. Dan Carts at DK Pops 04 has asked, what's your favorite lineup outside the starters? And I, I'm going to assume that that means that it can have starters in the lineup, but it's a, it's a mixture of bench players and starters. But you can you can go anywhere you want to go with this one. Yeah, well, I mean, my first reaction, I think at some point um, we've been asked the question of what is the Bucks' best theoretical lineup? Yeah. And certainly the starting five has been tremendous this year. They're a plus 18 net rating. Um, you know, much, much better than the starting lineup last year in terms of, you know, that, that metric. Um, but I think the, probably the most interesting lineup to me, like kind of that, 
you know, closing lineup type thing, you know, a year ago, you know, the closing lineup was presumably just the starters because I think, you know, Bud decided pretty early on in training camp that, Hey, I'm going to play as a starting five, my best five players. And, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, we wondered, would he be a six man? Um, would you go with more of a, you know, essentially a kind of role player, Tony Snell type uh, at shooting guard? And he said, no, I'm going to go with Malcolm Brogdon. And I think obviously all that worked pretty well last year. And this year, a little bit different because George Hill, obviously, I think, um, you know, coming into the year, I would have said he was your second best guard and nothing that he has done this season uh, <laughs> would suggest anything otherwise. You know, even last night in San Antonio continued to play well while, you know, many of his teammates uh, obviously struggled mightily. Um, so I think, you know, throwing George Hill into the mix um, in place of Wes Matthews, I would say that is, you know, your most talented uh, group that you can put together. The fascinating thing is Bud never uses that group. <laughs> um, you know, if I look at uh, cleaning the glass so far this season, Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, Chris Middleton, Giannis Netacumbo, and Brooke Lopez have played a grand total of 16 possessions together. Not, not even 16 minutes, just 16 possessions. Um, now they are, and I'd, I'd have to dig up from the NBA site what their actual point differential is. Uh, 16 is like beyond comically small in terms of, uh, you know, a uh, per possession, you know, sample. But uh, they are plus 18 points per 100, which I'm guessing means that they're like, plus three points total or something like that because 16 <laughs> possessions is about one yeah. six so <laughs> multiply it by six or seven um you're probably talking about they've literally like you know made one more basket or something than their opponents but so so that's really interesting because again i mean if you're in crunch time of you know the east finals of the nba finals um certainly our our concern is that eric bledsoe won't be able to be on the court at all right <laughs> right so there's there's that potential but uh if you were just talking about which five players are your best players. Um, to me, it's pretty easily that group. And it is very interesting that we have not seen that group of all at all. And the obvious reason why is because, well, A, there's been some injuries, obviously Bledsoe and Middleton missing games. But more importantly, you know, Bledsoe and Hill are your only two point guards that ever play. So it's natural that you would, would stagger that, that pairing, um, you know, as, as much as possible. Um, so, that said, I think there's generally you could say, you know, that lineup is kind of another example of Bud maybe not experimenting or trying out things that you think you might want to try uh, in the playoffs during the regular season. Um, Bledsoe and Hill have played 170 possessions together total. So they have seen some some time together, but um, obviously that's that's very few possessions as well. And again, they've been very good in that those possessions by net rating perspective. But again, that's another very small sample. So that that's my group. And I, you know, again, I I don't think that's necessarily a controversial like that take that that should be your your closing group. But it's I think more interesting just that Bud has not even really even tried to play those guys together. And so again, a lot of that's just because none of these guys play a lot of minutes. So it's it's hard to play Hill and Bledsoe together a lot when neither of them plays more than 26 minutes a game. Like they basically just add up to 48 minutes every night. Um, but we'll see, uh, you know, especially in the playoffs where your best players ramp up their minutes. That obviously leads to a lot more opportunity to, to play, you know, these better players together.
Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't have even guessed. That's still not a big number. What was that? 170 possessions for yeah. Bledsoe and Hill. Um, I I can't really. I just don't really remember it happening even that often. I don't know. It, it hasn't been something that they've gone to a lot. And um, Bud has really been uh, even through those injuries, as you mentioned, the Bledsoe and Middleton. Um, he, he's really refused to 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 bring George into the starting lineup. I mean, he's a guy that he likes to bring off the bench, and maybe I don't know. Maybe that that helps him when he when he does try to stagger those lineups. Even though uh, it doesn't really seem so, because a lot of the times it's just straight swaps for bench guys, particularly in the first quarter. But the interesting thing is, and I, I thought about this, this. There was a question a few weeks ago that that I was talking about with a lineup that uh, when I mentioned who 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 may be the five guys you want to roll with. Uh, down the stretch and I said it, it would be interesting if you're looking for defense and uh, not wanting to lose anything on the offensive end and you look and you think well okay well the way George Hill's shooting if it's spacing you're after on the offensive end and and also a guy that can defend at a really high level then George Hill is maybe a guy right now given past history as you mentioned that you would uh, trust a little bit more in big playoff situations and we saw it last year Hill was great in the playoffs um, he often was the guy that was on the floor uh, down the stretch but that's why Bledsoe shooting is is something to watch this season because his three point percentage is up to thirty six percent. Was down at thirty two last year. The attempts have come down a little bit. He's only getting up three point six per game uh, this season. But if he was able to keep his shooting right through the season at around thirty six percent, thirty seven percent, and was knocking down his threes in the in the playoffs, then that that guard combination of George Hill. And Bledsoe is is obviously very very good. And the the, the good thing about George Hill this season is, uh, you know, I think oftentimes you would think of him as a catch and shoot guy um, that can knock down some threes. But his percentages off the dribble, um, the numbers when he has seven plus dribbles, he's still shooting over thirty percent from fifty th- percent uh, from three. He is uh, he's been unbelievable off the draw. I don't think he's ever shot like this in his career, which is um, either one thing that's not going to stay <laughs> there for the whole season, or that's a that's a really going to be a really important weapon uh, come playoff time. Yeah, and I mean it's interesting. I mean, you talk about like do the Bucks run any lineups that are comparable? I mean, Dante Divincenzo has obviously played a ton of minutes at shooting guard, and you know when you think about. Um, okay, throwing George Hill in there instead of Dante DiVincenzo. Um, you know, George Hill is basically, if Dante DiVincenzo could shoot, but was like less of a habit creator on defense is maybe how I would think about it. Um, I, th- I think George is a better man defender. I think he, he he's such an expert. And I think Dante, you know, he, he's talked about George and Eric kind of being mentors to him. And, you know, I think he's gotten very good at getting over screens um, using maybe maybe his lack of bulk is is handy in that sense. You know, all those guys I think do a really nice job fighting over screens and maintaining connectivity with guys uh, defensively. Um, I think George is is a better man defender than than uh, than DJ, and Dante is at this point. So I think a lot of that's sort of veteran savvy. Um, but again, I don't think he's quite the again like kind of the havoc wreaker that Dante can be in passing lanes and, and stuff like that. But certainly offensively. You trust George a lot more than than uh, than Dante, and to be honest, I mean, you know, as well as Bledsoe has, has played in general this season, I mean, you know, is, is there a player in the backcourt that you trust more night to night than George Hill? I think the obvious answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, his, you know, as you mentioned, the shooting numbers, but just in general, I mean, even last year when he wasn't when he was shooting like half the rate he was shooting now, uh, it still felt like he was a net positive, and again, just 
a very savvy guy. And it seems like he still has uh, ample burst and ability to get to the rim and finish even at, you know, the age of 33, which is probably just as important as the fact that he's hitting shots. You know, the fact that physically he still looks to be in really good shape. And again, you just cross your fingers that he maintains his, his good health, uh, you know, for, for the remainder of the season. And, you know, you kind of manage his, manage his load well, because again, he was a guy that showed up big time in the playoffs a year ago and you're absolutely going to need that again this year. Yeah, no question. And we can sort of roll that on now to, to the next question. So this one comes from Anil uh, Saw, I believe. And if I'm, you know, pronounce anything wrong, then uh, you, can, you can certainly uh, give me some flack for that uh, on Twitter. But Blame the accent. Yeah, but, well, yeah, I mean, I'll also do that. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously saying it correctly and uh, it's, it's not my fault. Is that what we're saying? Is that what we're going to roll with? But he said, well, first of all, he asked if there was any fun reactions from Bucks players to me when I, I came back in. Um, nothing like crazy, but obviously, um, the, the second night, uh, when I, at the first home game, so it was New Year's day, he sort of, sometimes he'll pop his head into the locker room and sort of like look around and looking for someone, but he doesn't really hang around or talk to anyone. And it's, you know, probably a specific player he's looking for or something. And he sort of double takes, saw me there again. And I already saw him in Chicago. And then he sort of came over, he had a big smile on his face. He's like, what are you doing? Like just hanging around for a couple of days or something. I'm like, no, I'm, I'll be here for the rest of the season. And then he, he just gave me like a typical funny look from Bud. and was like, well, where the hell have you been the last few months? And I just said to him, I said, well, I've just been hanging out in Australia, getting some summer, going to the beach. And he just started smiling and sort of nodded his head as he was walking away. He's like, damn. And he's like, that's a pretty damn good idea by you. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, I, I haven't had summer for a couple of years. I got, I got to get some sun. So that was probably the funny one. Bud's great though. I mean, I, I've, I get along pretty well with him. He's, he's always, looked after me certainly answering my questions and that sort of thing. So that was probably the best one, but the players, nothing, nothing too crazy. I mean, they're not going to be, uh, you know, too excited or going out of their way to, to, to come to me before they're about to play, but that was it. It's been fun to be back in there though and see everyone, particularly the staff. They've actually, there's a lot of Australians on the, on the Bucks staff, particularly yeah. in the, in the training department. So, um, I get along well with all, with all those, uh, uh, guys and Suki, who is, you know, we claim her as an Australian as well. Honorary, so. honorary Australian. Honorary, yeah, exactly. And she was actually, um, I don't know if I mentioned this on here, but she was the the strength and conditioning coach for my Australian football team that I follow in the town that I've, I grew up my whole life. So she knows um, where I'm from, you know, very, very well. So she's uh, she's super nice. It's always fun to, to chat with her. second part of this question which is what relates to what we were just talking about whose three-point percentage is more likely to return to last year's number and this is an interesting one so we've got brooke lopez is one he was at 36.5 percent last year right now uh well he's back over 30 percent. so 30.4 percent for brooke lopez so is he going to be able to climb back up to 36 percent or is george hill going to come down from over 50 percent and 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 you, you already touched on this. The crazy thing about George Hill is he was actually shooting over 40% at the start of the season last year with Cleveland. He came to Milwaukee. He shot uh, 28% with the Bucks from three, which is just staggering when you think about how well he's shooting now. So who you got in this one? I mean, it has to be brooke just because you know he, he's so- <laughs> closer to yeah. to, uh, to where he was last year um and and again i mean we we saw that kind of signs of life i think he was up to 31 and a half percent i want to say at one point in the last two weeks when he had that nice stretch of shooting 
Um, I, I forget who, do you remember who tweeted out today? Was it Eric or somebody tweeted out that, or was it you? I, I, maybe it was you. I don't know. Someone tweeted out today that uh, like of the 20 guys who or so who have the most uh, wide open three pointers this year, Giannis and Brooke are the bottom two, Brooke being dead last. Um, and uh, so it's not like the shot quality hasn't been there. Now I would say a lot of his wide open looks are like 29 foot <laughs> wide open looks. Yeah. So a little bit of an asterisk on that. Like they're not as easy as Giannis's open looks. Um, so I, you know, again, I think Brooke could certainly, um, hopefully, uh, he will edge up in the second half of the season. And again, does he get to 36 and a half percent? Well, maybe not, but, uh, you know, he's been in that 35, 36% range, um, the last three years. I think he was in the 34 something percent range in, in one or two of those years as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's certainly a much, much closer mark than to expect George will fall off a cliff. Um, that said, could we see George? shoot 28% for a month or two. Definitely. That's certainly possible. You know, I think just as far as a mean regression type thing, I just don't think, you know, given he's almost a half season now of shooting 50%, um, there's just, I don't think, I mean, he would literally have to like not make any more threes. The rest of this. you would have to literally go like, Oh, for two months, basically to drop under 30% in on aggregate for the season. So, um, and, and look, George, I mean, historically has been a good three point shooter, right? I mean, again, he's not a 50% three point shooter, but you know, uh, Kyle Korver, Jason Capono, Steve Kerr. I mean, the list of guys who've, you know, been in that stratosphere is extremely, extremely short. So, um, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, his, his, that number has continued to hold up, but, um, you know, his career number is 38 and a half percent. So he's absolutely been a guy who has, has hit threes at a high clip. Um, was that the 40, was that kind of in that like four, low 40 percentile range, uh, for, uh, I guess three straight years from his age 29 to 31 season. So, you know, again, it's not like he's like completely out of his depth, but certainly, uh, in, in a company that, uh, you know, again, only those handful of guys, including his teammate, Cal Corver can relate to. So I would, I would imagine George will end up, you know, do I think he's going to end up closer to 50% or 40%? I'd say probably closer to low 40s, um, just because that's just the effect of, you know, the NBA's gravity on uh, shooting percentages, like over yeah. 80 games. But, uh, hey, as long as they go down, I mean, it's, it's great to see. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. funny we, I mean, we've talked about Giannis's sort of free throw shooting hangover. And George is at sort of the the opposite. Um, you know, when you go back to last year, shot 42% from three in the playoffs. Last year, shot 61% on twos. Uh, you know, you just kept expecting him to come back down to earth. But, you know, overall, 65% true shooting in the playoffs last year. I mean, if he replicates that, uh, that's remarkable. And in a lot of ways, I mean, you can argue that a lot of that play offsets a lot of Bledsoe's struggles. Um, but again, not that, you know, again, not that you want to say Bledsoe struggles are tolerable, but, um, you know, big credit to George. I mean, he he obviously was tremendous. And, you know, his career numbers are, are pretty damn good. I mean, 58% career true shooter in the playoffs. And he's played a lot of playoff games playing, you know, early for the Spurs, but then was part of that Indiana team during his prime where, I mean, they played 18, 19 games in back-to-back years as they went to the East finals and, you know, ultimately lost to those heat teams. But um, yeah, he's been really good. Had 19 games with the, with the Cavs um, the year before he played last year with the Bucks when he had 15. So um, definitely a veteran guy that you trust to, uh, you know, step up and not be, not be, uh, you know, the moment is not too big for him. Although he did miss that free throw 
preceding the uh, the J.R. Smith uh, play in game one of that uh, that finals in Cleveland. But, um, you know, fortunately for George, uh, J.R. sort of, uh, you know, stole, stole, the, stole the spotlight <laughs> a little bit there, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's just really funny to, to think about this because you, there's so many people, I see it all the time. People say, well, George Hill's not a guy you can trust in the playoffs. He missed that free throw. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I know it was, he missed a free throw. I get it. But uh, historically, as you said, he's been a guy that has performed uh, in the playoffs, certainly did last year for the Bucks. The interesting thing is I just keep on expecting uh, some of these threes that he's taken for him to miss. And he just hasn't been. And some of those those uh, bombs off where he is just dribbling, dribbling. He's got a guy and he just jacks it up and he hits it. Uh, against the Spurs, we saw um, he hit back-to-back threes or it was close to back-to-back threes from from either corner to keep the Bucks in the game. Uh, he, he's just been remarkable. And and it's, it's wild. I mean, we speak about it a lot. But just think, um, with the struggles that Bledsoe has had, if the Bucks were still rolling with Dolovadova as the backup, I mean, God, that is that is just a disastrous situation for a team that's trying to to make a deep playoff run. So again, the trade just unbelievable, and 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 he continues to to just look great. I would say, as far as the question goes, yeah, I mean, it, Lopez is the the easy answer there, and uh, that would be big for the Bucks if if Lopez can push that three percentage uh, three point percentage up a little bit because. Um, yeah, certainly when you re-sign him, and he's been unbelievable defensively, Defensive Player of the Year candidate, as we've spoke about. But uh, you probably would have hoped that he wasn't going to be down that that low. I mean, this would be uh, the way it's trending would be the the worst three point shooting season he's had since he started uh, taking them. So um, it's certainly uh, you know as far as that four or five year span goes, been the outlier, the negative outlier for him at, at this point. But while we're talking about shooting, uh, Giannis. Is uh, been taking the threes around thirty two percent right now. We had a question from J twenty seven D at Juice twenty seven Diaz. He says, "Do you think Giannis needs to go to a mid range jump shot when when his three point shot isn't falling uh, in the playoffs? I can see teams backing off him like what the Sixers did. Uh, Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James go to the mid range when they need a basket when they can't go to the rim now." The interesting thing about this is that when you talk about uh, teams backing off Giannis and letting him shoot the three, uh, I mean, they're going to do the same from the mid-range. So that's, what, that's the interesting thing about this because then you, then you have to say, well, okay, uh, do I feel any better about Giannis shooting a mid-range than I do a three? And probably not. I mean, he's proven that he can hit the three. The question is when they play that mental game, which honestly, that's what the Sixers were doing. At that point, they're on the road. The Bucks are really struggling. Uh, Joel Embiid is almost all the way back at the the restricted area at this point, allowing him to shoot those. But, uh, you know, the mid-range game hasn't been great for Giannis this year either. He's only shooting uh, 38% from the mid-range. So when you look at that, uh, that that percentage there of 38 and compare it to the 32 from three, I'm not sure what the answer is for him in a situation like that where he just can't get to the to the rim with the usual efficiency he can, uh, but he's not hitting the three. I mean, yeah, you do sort of just have to hope that he's going to be able to hit those three. So far this season, uh, he's hit three or more uh, triples in nine games, which in itself is unbelievable that he's done that so regularly. Probably won't surprise you. The Bucks have won every single one of those games so far. Yeah, I was looking at the numbers because, you know, they lose the game in San Antonio when he misses five threes. They lost the game yeah. in Philly where he missed seven threes. Uh, I think they're two and four this year when he misses when he doesn't make a three-point shot, and they are 27-2 and two when he makes a three, um, which, you know, I'd warn that, okay, don't, don't you know, there's, there, 
Giannis making one three is not like some magical event that, you know, completely changes the likelihood of the Bucks winning versus losing. But yeah, I mean, when he's on, obviously that makes them that much harder to guard. Um, <clears throat> and when he's obviously missing all, all of his threes, then and that's obviously, you know, <laughs> it's not a good thing. So um, I, I would say this about the mid range shot and, um, Friend of the pods, uh, friends of the pod, Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver, check them out. Um, they just released uh, their new post open floor pod yeah. called uh, "Greatest uh, of All Talk." Um, it's it, it it does cost money, but I happily signed up for it uh, on day one. Uh, you can listen to it through whatever your favorite podcasting app is, which is pretty cool. I've I've never actually paid for a podcast like directly, um, but it was it was really easy to to sign up, pay for it, and then get a link and play it in Apple podcast, which is how I listen to pod. So um, they actually were talking about this because they're obviously they're, you know, they, they always talk about Giannis Inc and uh, their shared love of Giannis. They disagree on many things, but they love Giannis. Um, and they were discussing this. I think Andrew was talking about, well, is, would a mid ranger be more useful? Um, look, I mean, Giannis specifically talked about the mid ranger with uh, our other friend, Eric name uh, after the playoffs last year. And, you know, I think this was, after watching Kawhi kind of kill the box with mid rangers. And, you know, I'd, I'd say, thankfully he has not suddenly like tried to become a mid range artist uh, out of nowhere. Um, so per basketball reference from the 16 foot mark to the three point line on twos, long twos, Giannis is shooting a career high 45% this year. Now he doesn't shoot very many of these only 4% of his total shots um, come in that range. That's a career low. So He's actually reduced his reliance on the mid-range shot uh, even further this year. So that works out to probably about like 30 total shots. So again, it's like a very, very small sample. Um, 35% on 10 to 16 foot shots. So actually worse on 10 to 16 footers. Um, That's probably also where most of those like fadeaway mid-range baseline shots come from is that 10 to 16 foot range, which is probably like the worst shot he takes with any regularity. Um, so he was at 38% last year. He's a 34% career shooter from 10 to 16 feet. Ironically, his worst range is from three to 10 feet. Alas, the, uh, Giannis hook shot, still not really a thing. Mm -hmm. He's at 32% this year from that range. And again, he just really has very little touch, um, when he's, and again, he's very creative and, you know, he's, um, ambidextrous as a finisher, uh, when he's really close to the basket, career high 79% at the rim. And then that basically is more than halved when he's three to 10 feet, 32%. So a massive drop off uh, when you push him out from the rim to, to three to 10 feet. Um, but so I would say this, I mean, look, I think over time it's natural that guys, like if he gets more and more comfortable from three that, you know, he can then maybe try to focus and develop a little bit more conscientiously the mid range jump shot. That said, you know, look at the math, right? He's shooting 45% on long twos. That's great. I mean, if he does that every year, that's phenomenal. That's a 0.9 point per shot shot, right? He's 32.6%, which is not great on threes, but that's basically almost one point per, per shot expected value yeah. multiplied by three. So, you know, it just, again, sort of reiterates, like being a very mediocre to substandard three-point shooter is still worth more than being a super accurate long two shooter um, just because – the shots are worth 50% more from three. So um, I would caution against being overly fixated on him developing that mid-range shot, you know, quote unquote, developing that mid-range shot. Cause to be honest, a lot of when I, people say developing the mid-range shot, it just mean like taking more of them. 
Um, <laughs> and for a guy who gets to the rim so easily, uh, I think, you know, again, he's best off if he's not getting a wide open three, or if he's not feeling a rhythm to shoot a three to keep defenses on us, then I would rather have him attacking the teeth of defense and trying to get to the rim. And, you know, again, if he gets swarmed, then, then pass it. Right. But I, I don't know if, you know, seeing a wall and then pulling up for a 17 foot jump shot, like, is that really kind of the best way to solve that defense? Uh, I think the math would probably say no. So um, again, it's a great shot to have in your arsenal, especially late in the clock, as we saw with Kawhi. Um, but I, I would, I have a very love hate relationship with the idea of Giannis becoming a, a mid range artiste. Well, I mean, the thing I think of straight away right now, when just when you talk through that situation and the wall, and then what do you do? Um, and where are you getting the mid range shots from? And I think about a guy like DeRozan, uh, against, uh, for the Spurs that we've seen a couple of times in the last uh, few days here. And those mid-range shots that he was getting, he was essentially dribbling into their rhythm mid-range shots. The Bucks, obviously, we know they give them away. He's very comfortable. That's fine. Like, I don't want Giannis to, to start shooting those all the time. But if he takes them from time to time, fine. If, if, if they're a rhythm shot for him, uh, then, you know, whatever. If, if he's knocking those down. But again, I, I would say that, as you sort of pointed to, the math would tell you, then why doesn't he just shoot the open threat? I mean, he's proven that he can knock that down. So that's probably where I sit from there. The one thing I don't want him doing is getting in the post and, and shooting more fadeaways because, to me, that's always been the shot that I'm like, come on. I mean, like, why are we, why are we taking this shot? You can do better than that. When we, even when he gets in that sort of uh, five, six, seven uh, foot range that you were sort of mentioning, it's like, okay, well, why don't you just move to the center, shoot a hook shot, Again, I know right now it's it's not the, it hasn't been the best shot for him, but that's what I would rather see him do more than than uh, just pulling up mid ranges. So I sort of agree uh, with you there, I, I, and I think that um, yep, he's going to have nights like the other night from three, where he's over five and and over seven against Philly. But uh, I think to this point, the impressive thing is we've spoke the whole time that he's been tuning the threes that yeah, he's going to go through rough stretches, and I'm talking about a stretch of maybe a week or or, or two weeks. We haven't really seen that. Like he's shown the ability to bounce back the next game, and uh, and shoot those threes again. So uh, that's as long as he keeps doing that. I mean, I, I think that that that's the a good shot for him. It's becoming a, a, a becoming a good shot for him, I should say. And and thirty two percent really. I mean, if we spoke at the start of the season, uh, that was I think our over and under was. 30 or somewhere around there for, for Giannis from three. And I don't think that we were even imagining that it was going to be at this volume. So uh, he's taking a big step from there. And I, I, I think that's still uh, going to be key for him to, to show that confidence. And the big thing is he doesn't look like a guy. He says he's not, but he doesn't look like a guy that, that, that gets bothered by him missing as well, which is, uh, which is a, the big thing. All right, we are going to leave it there for part one of this, uh, what's going to be a marathon mailbag. I think this this one could end up going into three or four parts here. We had a bunch of just really fun questions. So if we didn't get to your question today, uh, don't be alarmed. We are definitely going to get to that uh, tonight. The Bucks are in San Francisco taking on the Warriors. That's a 9 p.m. Central tip. So for tomorrow's post-game podcast, I will be running the usual post-game uh, set up for that one then we'll try and get back into the mailbag uh the next day there uh before we we round out the week and the bucks continue their west coast road trip so for frank madden and myself kane Pittman, we'll speak to you guys tomorrow